Yes, he's back. It was a long vacation, and we were worried about him traveling to foreign lands where turmoil rules. But he is back from Israel after visiting there and making everything fine. There are no problems in the Middle yes. Eastern now because Barack yes. Lurie spent, what, seven yes. days in Israel? Yeah, uh, eight days. Eight yes. days. That's right. Eight crazy days. Yes. Like yes. Hanukkah. I fixed things. Yeah, well, anyway. There well, was no terrorist attack while I was there. Thank you very much. And there was a reason for that. My presence was there. Coincidence? I think not. You know, I think causation and that other correlation, thing, correlation yes. have lined up and we've been delivered reality. Anyway, I bring to you now, to the microphone, Brock Lurie. Yay! Yeah. All right, all right. So, yes, I was in Israel. I was also in Finland, by the way. It was very interesting. Interesting to explore socialism in its, uh, in its heyday, right? I mean, this is, this is what Finland is all about. I'm fascinated by Finland as well. Uh, Israel used to be more of a socialist country. There still are socialist remnants in uh, in Israel, like they have free health care and such. But they organized that so much better than than anything America has ever done. Partly because Israel's a, a far smaller country, uh, but partly also because I think they have a, a, an understanding of the way things work and such. I, I'm I'm against socialized medicine of any kind. I don't care whether it's in Israel or otherwise. But it works much better in Israel than it does here. Okay. Oh, what's that? Can we? Can I address one thing about that? Because that's an argument those on the left always bring up to me. Yeah. About why yeah, I yeah. would always make the argument that socialized medicine is in Israel makes sense for one reason above all else. Yeah. It's because Israeli citizens are required to engage in military service, meaning a hundred percent of the Jewish population is essentially soldiers. Yeah, that's right. At some point, they will become soldiers, uh, with ex- with a few exceptions. You're right. Uh, but if you're thinking, well, then by, by definition, then they have to have the um, you know medical attention when they need to. Yeah, sure. But but they're also soldiers. They're not soldiers after they leave the army, right? So you still you know you need to have some privatized uh, industry. Look, the fact that it that it works less poorly in Israel doesn't mean that it's a good system. And it, it means that we might want to learn from the, uh, the way the Israelis do it, it, it to become more efficient and such, but it's still not a good system. It, you're, far, you're better off far more by going into a privatized realm than you would uh, a socialized realm. It's, a, it's always the case. It's never been different. But even so, it's less, poor, less, poorly, less poorly done in Israel than it is here. That's, but that's not saying much. Look, the, the point is that Israel used to be a socialized, medis- uh, a, a socialized country, and now it's much less so. It's opened up its markets far more dramatically, and as a result, they've got their currency under control. They've got uh, the employment situation way under control. Innovation is flourishing. Capitalism is, is flourishing. Investment is, is flourishing. It's a great, great country, and uh, I encourage everyone to see it. Finland, by contrast, we also went to Finland. Why? For fun. Why not? Check it out. There was some fun. I love the midnight sun. That part is really appealing to me. Uh, but you go around Finland, and you know everything is kind of well, adequate. You know, just adequate. Would you maybe borderline <laughs> use the term drab, as in the general socialist drab? Yeah, oh, it's, it's definitely drab. Place. A lot of graffiti everywhere. Uh, it is safe. Uh, Finland it touts itself as very safe, and I I understand that they they say that you could leave a wallet on the street and nobody will you know assume anything about it and such. Uh, not, and I think part of the reason why there are not that many foreigners in uh, in Finland. Everyone knows everyone in Finland. It's a very small population. I think it's like four million, five million people there, in a in a country the size of uh, what uh, three Californias. I mean, it's it's quite sizable. So uh, anyway. I, I, I digress. The, the point is that things are not... Re- you don't think of Finland as a great, innovative country. So your point is, with Israel, the socialist remnants are there, but it's a vibrant co- country and economy and culture. Right. With Finland, the vibrancy is gone. Everything's become yeah. washed out. It's totally washed out. And, and as we can see by your analysis of the locals, they're too lazy to steal a wallet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because of yeah. the high taxes they yeah. have to pay on I'll, I'll be talking on my Sunday show about the following, which is there are very few children in uh, all of Europe. And in Finland, a, a little bit more, there's like 2.2, no, sorry, 1.7 as opposed to the 1.1 that you see in the rest of Europe, but it's still a very poor uh, child birth rate. 
and that's a, that's a problem for them. You know, you, a country needs children. I think in, in Denmark, in fact, they're even pushing forward, uh, encouraging people to have more sex and to have sex vacations so that if they can prove that they conceived uh, while they are away during these sex vacations, then Denmark will give them X amount of dollars. And also, yes, that's right, will take care of their uh, diapers and all the things, all the consequences of that sexual act, right? <laughs> <laughs> they really want to exist in 50 years, don't they? Yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you, you really have to, I mean, really, one of the most basic instincts you have to encourage people to engage in. That's bad. It's, it's, it's like, wow, you, that's how bad socialism right? is. It, really, it, just, it just cuts off all interest in sexual activity. It neuters uh, the human It neuters spirit, you. Literally. Yes. yes. Well, bizarre. What a crazy. <laughs> it's so crazy. It, it, but it's true. It's true in France. It's true in uh, Holland. It's true. Everywhere you look, it's there's not one European country where you can say, wow, look at the childbirth there. They're, they're, they've got something going. And the reason, you know, the question is why, right? I, I wish I, I had asked many more Finnish people, why do you not have more children? What, what, what gives? Uh, but I think that the reason why, it's, it's probably a... A Finnish person probably himself wouldn't know. I think that they the ultimate answer is it's a society that treats you as a child already, right? So a child, children don't have children, or they're not supposed to, right? And so they think it's a, you know, what can I get culture? How can I work the system culture? They're so busy trying to work the system to get more goodies for themselves. By having a child, well, then they've got to work the system even more to get more goodies for themselves and their child because they don't they don't promote you know having children they should uh, like Denmark is now beginning to uh, but they, they should give these huge credits and say look the more children you have the more the government will pay you I, I'm not saying that that's a good thing I, I think it's absurd yeah it would have been uh, better the, if they didn't interfere in the economy in the first in the first place, place yeah. right if they have a capitalist system by contrast then everything works I mean it's kind of like the the system we talked about before I think we said what what's the windex of uh, of to, to civilization's ills and problems. And the Windex, uh, meaning referring to that movie, the great movie, that My Big Fat Greek Wedding, where Windex was a solution to all of uh, his problems. It was a cleaner. It, was, it, it resolved your headaches. It, you know, it was a salad dressing. Whatever it was, this guy thought Windex was the, was the answer to all things. So what is the Windex, as it were, for social ills and problems and uh, corruption and uh, you know, good values? Capitalism. Capitalism is a great, uh, of course, God-centered uh, free market capitalism, uh, but that, in addition to the many things that capitals, capitalism offers, it also encourages people to have lot, lots of children, and voila, that would that would resolve the problems of uh, socialist Europe as well. But this this Mickey Mousing that they have right now is really quite something, which leads us to our big point, and that is the Brexit. As we speak today. Uh, Britain recently decided to uh, leave the European Union, to which we say, Yay! <laughs> Woo! Let's uh, move, chat! <laughs> good. Good show. <laughs> Bully for you. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Finally learned something from us colonists, did you? <laughs> <laughs> What's that you say, Governor? Anyway. Uh, it's, it's, it's really fantastic. Or they, they got fed up, and I understand so. Look, part of the reason why is, you know, Britain, with all its, of its issues and socialism itself, still was more innovative and more um, friendly to market systems than the rest of the continent, right? And in walks all these, uh, th- these people and these demands of the rest of the continent, and trying to impose laws and structure upon them, and then uh, telling them how many Syrian immigrants they must take and such, only to find that by doing so, all these laws and these immigrants and such like that, they, w- they were sucking away at, at the teat of their socialist enterprise, which was hurting them from their innovations and all the goodies that, that uh, England was producing in the world. And so what do you do at that point? I mean, you, you see it all being squandered away. You say, you know what? No mas. No thank you. I'm, I'm out of this. And I, I mean, you, you think about the, the courage that it took to do this. It was a very significant majority, 52 to 48. That's, that's significant these days. In a huge country, that's a huge swing yeah. of actual numbers. Yeah, that's really, really big. So look, you, you, you've got this, and most people... 
at the end of the day, they're going to fear change, right? They, they want to keep the status quo. That's usually the best answer. So even if it's not an, a great status quo, it's better than the unknown. But here they, so, so that we had going against us. Again, we were in the leave camp, you and I. I mean, I, I didn't even have to ask you whether you were in the leave camp. I, I kind of knew it. And you were the one who announced it to me, by the way, by way of text. Thank you very much. And While was, you were in Israel. Uh, that's, yeah. yeah, that's right. I was so <laughs> it was It was such an interesting moment because you're on this great vacation. I, I think the listeners will just appreciate our, our mutual joy in this. I'm staying up to like 1.32 in the morning, West Coast, American time, right. watching this. Yeah. And watching Christian Amanpour on CNN have a meltdown. I don't know if you happened to see that. <laughs> no, but, that I didn't. But it was, it was gorgeous. I mean, there, there's this panic going on on CNN. And um, and I was watching CNN specifically for this panic, and I, of course, text you. You know, knowing that you're in a different time zone, and it must be you know mid morning or something where you are. Mm-hmm. You write back to me. Want to have a face or a conversation about this? And I'm thinking to myself, first of all. You're on vacation, supposed to be enjoying yourself, and this must have been as momentous for me as it was for you, that you were willing to have a conversation. I wanted to, too, but I was about to fall asleep. I know, I know. know. It was so funny. (laughs) I was so thrilled. It it really, I mean, I was enjoying my vacation already, and like this just added gravy to to the whole whole situation. (laughs) It was so delightful. It was delicious, really. Say after a bad a breakup with someone bad, the air smells fresher, <laughs> food tastes better, I know. dessert is sweeter. Everything was great, <laughs> and and everyone was so shocked. And look, I I, I don't want to just talk about Brexit because that was it. Were, it really was a pleasant moment. But putting that aside, because I don't want to just say, well, it was great to win. I, I want to explore a couple things. Why is it so? Why did it happen? And what can we expect in the future? And what does it say about human nature, generally speaking? Okay, uh, I guess the why did it happen, I, I think we kind of explored a little bit already, which is that uh, Britain was tired of the immigration crisis that it was suffering. Uh, I think it was really putting um, the brakes on innovation and the economy for Britain, and they saw it happening. And I think there's something about the British also not liking being dictated by, by Brussels. It just seemed odd to them. Uh, and, and that's a very important. I mean, don't forget, Britain... Uh, unlike uh, Denmark, unlike uh, France, uh, at least modern-day France and such, they really had a history of being, uh, you know, a very important empire that established the rules. And all of a sudden, they were, conce- you know, ceding all this power to Belgium of all countries. Uh, yes, of course, it wasn't Belgium per se; it was the EU. But still, it it just it was odd that why would Britain do this? Britain is a great country. That's why they call it Great Britain. And it's, it's uh, as Lawrence of Arabia said, you know, and why do they call it great? Because they have guns. <laughs> you know, but it wasn't, it's not just about the guns and the strength. It's about their, their advent of Western civilization. Their values are so strong. And, you know, let's face it, that the values that they were able to impart to America was allowed America to become America. You know, American civilization is really the, the, the logical continuation of, of the British Empire. It's not that much different. And 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 and, and, that, and that's why I think that part of a British society said, this this dog don't hunt no more. I we, we hate this, and I and I I think it may be that after Britain leaves, that France will eventually, or maybe Germany will eventually, some it'll eventually realize that the, the, the burden is too great. Here's another problem for the EU. I don't know where I, I read this. I wish I had thought of this myself. I'm quite sure it was in the Wall Street Journal. But the, the main point was the EU doesn't really offer growth. It offers simply a way of maintaining basic rules, the rules of the road. It doesn't, it doesn't encourage anything. And that's not really a good system. That's like, it's more like being you, you find yourself stranded on an island and you agree to ra- ration water. Right. That's that's really what it is. It's not it's surviving, but it's not thriving. Right. And ration water from the existing pool but w- without being incentivized to dig a new well or yeah. go find other sources. Yeah. There's, they they there's don't look no to increase the supply of water yeah. for everyone. We're just going to ration what we see. That's right. It's like you said very well uh, the other day about how uh, liberals and conservatives respond to something like a drought. Uh, the liberals will 
respond by trying to conserve the water and to preserve the water and to limit people's use. And, uh, and, and a conservative, by contrast, will, will seek to expand it. That's the way it, it works. And I think that Britain feels like we don't want to be what the EU is offering. It's not really growing. Uh, the EU is, you can't say by looking at the EU, what, what greatness has it achieved? What, what great new innovations in the past, what is it, 43, 45 years that it's been around? And then, of course, with the opening up of the borders and the euro as a currency, uh, you know, has that done anything? And it, really not. When you think about it, it's all it's done, yeah, it's nice to be able to go freely, uh, uh, you know, between countries. So what? You know, that's a... That's all of about, what, 10 minutes to cross a border these days? Uh, if, when I came back from um, Helsinki, okay, I went through customs. So I showed my passport. It took, it took 10 minutes. And even if it takes an hour, BFD, as they say in French, right? Who cares? But, you, but the consequences of having open borders are so dangerous. So, yeah, it's a little bit inconvenient, but there's the, there are great benefits to it as well. And I don't, you know, as I said on my Sunday show, it, it doesn't, you know, the fact that I don't have to exchange currencies, okay, that's something. And now what, what, what there's a difference in the dipping sauce of, of your bread? Is that, is that, I mean, that's, who cares? And another point very quickly about the currency. Most people do transactions with uh, different forms of debit and credit cards now. Don't those take into account the currency differences automatically? Automatically. It, it sure so does. only if yeah. you're handling cash, assuming for a drug deal or an illegal weapons purchase as a terrorist, is this even going to affect you? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's not a good reason to have a whole you know, constitution and whole bylaws and, and, and to be beholden to, uh, sorry, to, uh, to subjugate yourself to, to a higher power, centralized authority. Um, Look, intuitively, I knew that this was a great thing because the EU, it really offered nothing. It was offered no growth. It offered only the pretense of some sort of stability. I don't know what that stability even looks like. And I see these, these European parliamentarians going into Brussels of, of the EU, and they, they look about each other like, what are we going to do now that Britain is leaving? Let's talk about this. And I, I, it's like this pretense of people pretending, walking around, pretending as if they, they have the ability to do anything, right? But all they do is just setting up lives to, to control people. That's all they want to do is to control. And it's, they're not doing anything good for society. They, are, they, they, they suck the energy out of the individual. That, that's all they're good for. Yeah, these people. And, and all they're doing at that cost is making things friendlier for the largest of corporations. They're not making things easier for a small baker to come up with a wonderful new cookie no, or something, no. or artisanal bread in Paris or in Rome. They're, they're only helping companies like Federal Express or McDonald's or Intel cross borders for their products. Yeah, that's right. You've got it 100% right. And it's, uh, and, and, you know, it's no wonder that the people who support supported the stay movement or the remain movement i think they called it uh you know there were people like like obama himself and all the liberals of of old the canadian canada's trudeau and and uh and even the squishy conservatives like cameron uh himself everyone was all for it. the un of course too and as long as they're for it i'm against it okay yeah, and but, but it's too easy this is this is uh, you know we're against centralized government we we are for limited government and wh why would i just i never understood why england agreed to be in the eu in the first place maybe it was because england was suffering at a time in the 70s i think that's what it was and they decided well let's try this this crap and and then when the 80s rolled around they started becoming strong again they realized well maybe it wasn't such a great idea but nevertheless they would they would go forward with it and uh it's just it was a bad idea from the very get go and now they're leaving and I'm just, I couldn't be more thrilled. It really makes my day. And it's about the human spirit at the, at the end of the day. The EU is about crushing the human spirit. And England now is acting in support of the human spirit and to bring out the best in, in people. Look, and, and there's two things about that that I think yeah. need to be mentioned that are very important, which is this. You talk about the human spirit. Well, part and parcel of the human spirit is the concept of freedom. And among the most granular and atomical 
portions of freedom to always keep in mind is the idea of being able to choose your own leadership. In the last few years, in two or three countries, the EU appointed leaders of different countries, no matter what the, the populations of those countries voted on. I think Portugal, Greece, and one other country had premiers or prime ministers selected for them by the EU's uh, parliament in Brussels. And I think the this is what was so funny is when Christiane Amantpour was interviewing people right after the Brexit vote came, they were trying to explain that to her, and she kept cutting them off yeah. as soon as they got to that meeting yeah, exactly point. Exactly right, exactly right. And that's the, the thing that isn't being reported anywhere in the media that is so on the minds of the British themselves, which was they want to be able to have their votes count. And... Along, and this is the real important point. Along with the EU's parliament uh, appointing leaders, it was making it impossible for the people in Portugal and Greece to remove those leaders. Yeah, exactly. And the people of Portugal and Greece and, and those in the, in the anti-EU... Well, let's, let's, let's not even get too much into that. I'm, I'm just saying these people saw the writing on the wall yeah, where this of course, is going. of course. Uh, somebody's got to see that their their whole country is falling apart. I mean, there was there was more than a couple of videos. Um, uh, I think it was on YouTube. This woman who had been living in England all her life <clears throat> moved out, came back to visit, and she saw her country completely overrun <clears throat> by radical Muslims, uh, refugees, if you want to call them that. And uh, she said, and they were telling her to to uh, cover herself up. And she said, "Don't you tell me what to do. This is my hometown. This is where I live. You can't just come in and tell me after only a year or two. Well, how do I, I how I must behave in my own hometown? And I plan to move back here. And uh, and it's uh, this outrage among her. Thank goodness that she had the courage to do this. But I think she's symbolic of the whole nation as a whole uh, about this this." Uh, how dare you tell me how to behave in my own country? I don't blame them at all. But it's to use a word that you say very often, and I, and I like it, it's the temptation to be supine to, uh, to greater authority in exchange for um, security as opposed to freedom is very powerful. But I think that there's something that is awakening people to say, look, there's a point where you've pushed me too far, and I'm going to snap. And that's what happened with Britain. And I, and I dare say that you're going to see more and more of this over the next coming years. Frankly, I hope so. You know, let's compare this to the Arab Spring. Uh, you know, it wasn't really a spring. It was an Arab winter, of course. It was disastrous. But, but the, Brit, uh, the European situation might be very different. It might be a very good. It might be the reverse of the Arab Spring. It might be a blossoming of democracy. I don't think that there is that much democracy in, in Europe, as much as everyone would like to say, people don't really give a darn about freedom, uh, unlike England. Uh, but in France, they don't care about freedom. Germany, no. And the ultimate part of that is, is free speech, right? I mean, when you think of freedom, you, the first thing you go to in your mind is free speech. Yes, it also includes other things like starting your own business and, and uh, being able to associate with other people and such. But free speech is the first go-to thing in your mind. And free speech is not that big a deal in in France and, and Germany and Luxembourg and Brussels and and all those places. They, they it's uh, that there are many curtailings of speech, and I just wonder, are they okay with that? And apparently they are, because they've made the trade the, the trade off between freedom on the one hand and security on the other, and they look at us as Ameri as Americans and wonder why are we so you know, uh, happy on the one hand. Why do we say, how are you to everyone? Why do we have this kind of smile and a skip in our step all the time? And they think we're fake or like we're loud and boisterous and such like that as if we own the world. And you know what? In a way we do because we've, it's not that we own the world. It's we own ourselves. We have this ability to say, I'm in control of my own destiny. But if you're not in control of your own de and destiny, as most Europeans are not, then you're not going to be a happy camper, right? You're not, you're not going to enjoy the, the benefits of life. And so no wonder they're so dour and so, uh, uh, you know, they, they walk around like a question mark, right? That, that's the, their whole body language is so, 
It's so drab, to use your word. I, I, I think that's really a great way of exp- ex- expressing and describing Europe. Drab. And everything you look at, the, the, the beauty of what it once was, it's like a, it's an echo of, of, uh, of the past, but not quite really being able to capture it. Right, uh, these beautiful churches, these beautiful monuments, and such—all this incredible effort and innovation, and uh, a quest for culture, and and the quest to search for God—it's there in the in in kind of the the rambling uh, countryside called Europe. But you have to kind of see it right there. It's 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 a it's a hodgepodge, but in a way, it's like you know, it's like it's like looking up to the sky. We talked about this before. And you see many different stars, right? And you know by now that this star that you're looking at, well, that's two light years away. Oh, that star, that's 512 light years away. Oh, that star, that's 100,000 light years away, right? And so on and so on and so on. No star that you see is exactly in the same time. Uh, the, the light's not coming to you at the same time, okay? It's, it's from a different era, literally. And many, and many of them are already gone. Yeah, that's right, even though it seems to yeah still yeah. be there. So likewise... Uh, the same thing is true with the European landscape. You have this beautiful artifact, right? This beautiful monument, this church from the 1500s, this church uh, or this monument from the 1700s, that, uh, that institution from the, the 1800s. And it's all there. And then you have this otherwise drab countryside, right? Or, or the cities for that matter. These old, not oldest buildings, but these buildings that are just kind of cropped up and they're kind of administrative buildings that have no real purpose other than to serve as bureaucracies. They don't have any real quest in them. There's no craving for a value, no, no celebration of the human spirit, right? And it's, it's, it's just like that all over Europe. You, you, and and we, we go when we visit Europe, whether it's Venice or Rome or Milan or Paris, you know, Munich and so on, you name it. When we go to, to visit these places, where do we go? We go to those old artifacts. We go to those great churches. We don't go to the administrative building, right? Because we go there because that building reflects a time where the human spirit sought something great. That's why. And, and that's why we appreciate it so much. We go to Versailles, right? We go to the Louvre. We, these are great buildings. We go to Notre Dame. You, which will soon become a mosque, but that's another story. We go to Westminster Abbey. We go to uh, the Roman Colosseum. You name it. Yeah, Big Ben. Big uh, Ben. Yeah, good, good, great the, example. The, the, uh, we go to the Parliament. We go to... Uh, L'Arc de Triomphe. Yeah. You, uh, this, this is what we do, and, and the reason why we do it, because we, our bodies are questing, our minds are questing for that same great cultural uh, reach. So I, I, I just... I, I want Europe to go back to that. But right now, you know, the, er, the average uh, French citizen, German citizen, so they walk around with these, these great landmarks from their past, but they're just relics of the past. Most of the time, they don't understand what they are anyway. And this, this exit from, from Europe, in a way, is saying, we want to be great again. Let us be great again. Let us quest for greatness. Make England great again. Yes, there we <laughs> go. <laughs> but isn't it interesting to think about two points about this? Uh, what's the best part of an American say? What's the best part of a European say? And what's the worst part of either? I'd make the argument, the best part of an American say is the second we wake up. The whole day, our whole future is in front of us. We wake up, get out of bed with an enthusiasm that we can do something great today. Yes, yes. And the worst part of my day for me is when I'm going to sleep and I think, oh, this great day's over. Yeah. This great day's over. All these, and I always say a prayer to God. I said, and I pray and believe tomorrow will be better than today. But Mm -hmm. there's still a sorrow that this great day, whether it's spending time with you or my kids or wife or accomplishing something is over because it was so great. If you look at just the basic culture of Europe, what's the best time of day for them? It's when they're leaving the pub, staggering home in drunk oblivion. The worst part of the day for them is when they wake up with that hangover. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. This again. You know, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, you know, you remember the Far Side cartoons? And I I really love the Far Side cartoons. But there's one great one where (laughs) you see... The, this uh, dog, you know, looking to another dog. They're in a house, and 
and there's these two uh, dog um, dog plates. What do you call dog food bowls? Food bowl, dog food bowls, right? And, and you see their master. You don't see. You just see the arms of the master pouring in some dog food into their bowls. And one <laughs> looks at the other excitedly and say, "Oh, great, dog food again!" <laughs> right? But, you know, it's the same old food over and over again. Obviously, the dog is not excited about it, other than just because he's excited, because he's hungry. That's about it. But that's the way it is in European life. You know, dog food again. Oh boy. Yeah, you know, but, but that's that, that's the problem of Europe. Right. And, you know, they don't have that joy of like, oh, let me try something different. Oh my gosh, that food is so great. Oh, you know, do you remember that time in Milan where we had this great pasta? No, they're whole. They don't have anything to look forward to. That's the problem. And and you know, when they were building the great churches of Europe, they would. I was I explained this to my daughter with whom I was at uh, on my vacation to to show. I said. They would start building these churches, knowing that it would take 700 years to build, which meant by definition that the people who were starting it would never, would never see the end. there and pray. It, they, they would never enjoy the end result. That's what I mean. Yeah. And, and then, of course, and not just that generation, but the next and the next, it probably would take a good you know, 15 generations. The, the 15th generation might see it. Maybe. And, 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 and that was... That's what they lived for. It was because they loved God so much. They were doing something great. And it was faith in the future. Why are we engaging in this folly that we'll never get to enjoy? Because we have faith that someone will. Right. And that was the second point I wanted to make, which is this. You and I are not Christian. And I'll, I'll make our point about us being Jews in a second. But because the, the synagogues are not as grand as the, 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 the um, churches. Right. But if you were um, mm-hmm. a Christian in Europe... Wouldn't you hunger to go to these places to pray? Yeah. Wouldn't you wake up every day go, God, I hope it's Sunday so we get to go to Mass right. and pray at the, the uh, Church of Toledo right. or to Notre Dame, which will be a mosque. Because the Muslims are certainly enjoying their prayers there. Uh, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's shocking to me that despite this incredible architectural history and the, the facilities to enjoy, it's like take uh, fans of the Boston Red Sox. They have Fenway Park to enjoy their baseball games right, in. Right. They, they sell out every game. Here's, you know? here's the ultimate question as we go to the break. I think one of the great questions you can ask any European, a, a native European, not a parliamentarian or thing, a, a European, just a run-of-the-mill, you know, Joe Sixpack European, ask him the following question. What do you look forward to? Okay? And you'll get a blank stare. Okay? But you and I, when we talk, uh, that's a very reasonable question. I, I think that's an alien question to a European. What, what do you mean? What, what, how is that relevant to my... That's like saying, do you, would you like to see things in ultraviolet light? It means nothing to them, right? But what do you look forward to? Yeah, ask For an me, American, ask what me. do you look forward to? Ari? I look forward to seeing the birth of my grandchildren in yeah. a country as free as the one I was born in. Yeah. That's, that's all I think well, about. But, but, but you, there's also micro forwards twos, right? For example, you look forward to growing your business, right? You look forward to, to uh, you know, maybe innovating yourself to, if you're a tech guy or, or an inventor of some kind. I look forward to finishing my book and then maybe writing more books. I look forward to growing my business as well. I mean, there's... There's just so many things I look forward to. Yeah, and, and, and today, getting here so we could do this podcast. You were gone all week. Yeah, I, look I, I to love it. doing these with you. This is I always look forward to these conversations oh. that we get to share with people. Thank you it's, very much. Uh, because what yep. this might seem a, a minor thing, but it's really an amazing thing. In this little recording and in your radio show on Sundays, you're spreading enlightenment. Yeah. You're yeah, guaranteeing right. the, the, the future that I want will happen. Yeah. Well, and, and, and they certainly don't have anything like this in Europe. I mean, they, now they're listening to podcasts such as this in Europe. We have some listeners in Europe, as it turns out. And uh, But talk radio? Forget about it. It's just, it's just not happening. Anyway, when we get back, uh, we will talk a little bit more about uh, Brexit and uh, some other consequences of European thinking. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, your client loaned $100,000 to a former business partner to use to flip properties, but the former partner used the money to pay off his own personal debts. Yeah, Dennis, the challenge here was that the defendant claimed to not have any money. Even his own lawyer claimed the defendant wasn't paying him. So how did you resolve it? Well, we put his money where his mouth was, asking, why don't you just agree to stipulate to a judgment that would save our client and his tens of thousands of dollars pursuing this matter in court. Now my client has a judgment as though he had gone to trial and won. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. is Europe and socialism and all the things that are necessary uh, that, that they feel is so wonderful in their lives that allowed them to uh, somehow have a, a secure life. But there's nothing about freedom. As that, that's what we're talking about. And, and in my travels recently, I encountered a, a young man about, uh, actually not so young, he's probably about 45 or so. And, and we were talking about Trump and Clinton and such like that. And this, uh, this guy, and, and also he's talking about Brexit, he felt that democracy is not really working and we ought to have more of a dictatorship. You know, he, let's, let's have a dictatorship, he felt. And, and wouldn't that be great? Things will finally get done. All right. This is uh, very similar, for some reason, to a lot of uh, elitist thinking. Uh, I know that Tom Friedman talked about this uh, when he talked about China. Let's let's be China for a day. He has China envy, right? That this notion that if you if you have dictatorial powers just for a day, you can get great things done, right? And we'll talk about that in a moment. Okay, that's actually a, a whole chapter in my book uh, that I talk about, which is really fun. Then you have uh, also Woody Allen said the same thing that they should give Obama dictatorial powers because uh, he was so frustrated, don't you know, that these wascally Republicans are, are just getting in his way. I think Harry Belfonte said uh, even more extreme, that you let him be a full-on dictator. Great things will happen if you just let him do what he needs to do. And then uh, Neil uh, deGrasso or whatever Neil it is. Neil deGrasse Tyson from Tyson, the show right. Cosmos. Yeah, Cosmos. The remake of Cosmos. Yes, Cosmos. Exactly, remake. And uh, this guy... Uh, a self-avowed atheist. I'm sure he's an atheist. Uh, I think he's more or less said that he has this notion of God. He has full contempt for it. And uh, he recently came out with a comment to the effect of that there should be a whole country called Rationalia. Or Rationalia, I don't know. And the notion was that it would be governed entirely by being rational. Because, you know, you, the world is just totally irrational in his mind. And he'd be the king. And he would be the king. He would make all the decisions. And uh, great things will happen if you just let him run these things. So, so th- thinks every dictator the world has ever known, right? I mean, there's, <laughs> that, that's the, the hubris that, that this man thinks, that he will have a different rationale. Rationalia. Correct. It's so absurd. <laughs> you, you think that you're the first person that thinks this? Every king thinks that what he's doing is for the great good of his country, including the North Korean dictator. Right? Kim Il-un uh, or whatever Kim Jong-un, yes. Kim Jong-un. Uh, he thinks he's doing wonderful things for his people. Right? He thinks he's very rational. And by the way, all the atheist countries, right? That They're totally, you know, ir- irrationality free. Right? Every single one. Including uh, Hitler. Including Stalin. Including Pol Pot. They were all God-free. And, uh, you know, if uh, you can call them rational, right? They... Uh, they didn't uh, invest in anything that was irrational, but they were murderous. They did horrific things. So where's the rationale, right? And, and, and Neil, can I call you Neil? Yes. All right. Thank you so much. Neil, wh- where do you, how do you deal as a rational person with somebody who is irrational? What, what happens then? Do you, do you decide, who decides? Well, I don't like the way that you propose your ideas. 
Uh, you think that, uh, I don't know, for example, we should have uh, religion and people should be allowed. I decide that that's not rational and you're not allowed to go to church. How about that? Okay. So how do you deal with it? Do you imprison them? Is that rational? Is that, is, is that good for society? What about, uh, what about art? Okay. I, I, art is not rational. Not, no art is rational. Music is not rational. Or if you like, there are certain kinds of music and certain kinds of art that are certain kinds of writing that make no sense at all, right? Who's, who decides what's rational, what's not rational? I mean, do you see how idiotic this is? I do. I know Ari does. Do you see it? And the thing that I don't get is how these people who, who subscribe to this mentality, including my, my friend that I was talking about, they actually think, and they say it with, with great aplomb and, and seriousness, that, that dictatorial powers are the way to go. Like, you know, we do have examples of this. This is not a, a novel idea. You understand that the world worked this way up until the American experiment called the American Revolution. Everything before was a dictatorship. Everything. And there are still many dictatorships today. Please tell me where a dictatorship has worked in the history of the world ever. Okay? And then we can talk about your rationalia country. That, that's, where I, that's where I want to know. Okay. So now go, going back to China for a day, I, I told you I would get back to this. I, I have a whole chapter in my book uh, that's coming up about the dangers of atheism and, and how people feel that uh, it would be great if we were just China for a day. Thomas Friedman uh, adopted this phrase, and it's a chapter in his book, China for a Day. And so uh, let's, let's pretend then we are China for a day, that we give dictatorial powers to whoever. Okay, so it begs the question, who, to whom are we giving these dictatorial powers, right? What, your notion of what is right, it, it, it's presumed, right? That they, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with this. This is why I'm so flummoxed. So if you feel that dictatorial powers are important, what sort of... Uh, policies and agendas are you seeking to advance? What is it? What, what, in, what in your mind, my dear liberal friend who seeks a dictatorship, which seems to me opposite of liberal, right? But that, that's another story. What does it look like? Does it look like we're going to have massive public transport? Does it look like we're going to have uh, exactly the same education for everyone in kindergarten and, and, uh, and first grade and so on all the way through to high school? That everyone's going to have exactly... What, what is your version of society? Because it may be different from another person's version of society. Surprise, surprise. And, and even it might be different from a Democrat's or a liberal's point of view. Uh, so, so maybe like Woody Allen wants and Harry Belafonte want Obama to be the dictator. Well, even Woody Allen might have a different vision of what he thinks would be appropriate for this society than, than what Obama may think is appropriate for this society. What, what if Obama, for example, decides that it would just be nice if we had one religion altogether, because that's rational, right? Then we wouldn't have conflicts among religions. There's your rationality. And I, Obama, think that Islam would be the best, because it has this kind of cool very clear thinking way of, and it's very clear rules of, of who's going to be who, and it takes away the whole freedom thing. So that's good, right? Because you guys don't want freedom, but you want your security. As the famous placard that we pointed to before, uh, before to hell with your freedom, right? Remember this? Yeah. So, uh, so Obama says this. I, I think that Maybe, maybe Woody Allen and Harry Belafonte and even Thomas Friedman might say, I don't want to live under Sharia law. But it's logical, right? It, it, it would avoid all this sectarian rife that we're having, right? That's logical. I mean, I can go on with this all day long. What about, uh, let's say, energy policy? You decide that it's not rational, not rational whatsoever to have a... a, a, a uh, energy based upon petroleum or fossil-based fuels, as they call it. And you decide that it's far more logical to invest our entire government system into solar energy. And we need to focus this entirely. And let's put uh, solar panels on every single roof in the world, and, or parabolic things, because, by golly, you are just so smart. And you're going to do this. All right? So now we're all 
energized to do solar energy, and we're not allowed, in fact, to use petroleum or fossil-based fuels. Okay, what then? And then you discover it's not working so well. What, what's, what's logical about that? The, the logic would then be to say, well, we ought not to do that, right? We ought to do something that has consistent energy policy, that, that'll, sorry, that gives us consistent energy 24 hours a day. Where are we going to get that? So I, I just don't understand the logic. So with all due respect to uh, Neil DeGrasso Tyson, DeGrasse Tyson, Tyson, Tyson I, I'll never get this. Why doesn't he just get rid of that stupid hyphen name? For, Neil Tyson, how about that? Much easier, right? So said the guy with the strange first name, Brucklery. Okay. At least you only have a first and a last yeah, name, so maybe a middle that you don't throw in there. I don't have at a middle name you, either. At, at least, least you I didn't do a, a hyphen it with your wife's maiden name. Yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> but, but two things. Yeah. So what you're saying is with when you just take liberals and you put their vision, there's a conflict to begin with because what if it's a union yeah. member liberal who wants to build things everywhere and what if it's an enviro-status liberal who wants to tear everything up? Uh, and what if... The third yeah, thing of is, course. what if they go all solar, they end all the global warming, it results in cloudy days, and then the solar panels don't work? <laughs> I don't, I, they're not thinking about anything. Other than this. No, look, no liberal policy makes any logical sense in and of itself, right? So it's a, it's a tautology, as we say in law, uh, to, even, to even talk about this. Their, their very logic would lead them to being conservative, right? And, and how do you deal with dissent? In your, in your, uh, what is it? Rationality, rationality, right? Rationality. Because the difference between Neil Tyson, I'm just going to call him Neil Tyson. The difference between Neil Tyson and uh, Harry Belafonte uh, and Woody Allen, on the other hand, is that uh, Neil Tyson is not advocating a dictatorship, although in effect he is because he wants to be the king, right? So, how does he deal with this scent? How does he say, look, uh, this is, this, these are we we believe otherwise. You know, Mr. King, you know, can we please uh, pray to a god? Mr. King, can we please have this kind of art form? Mr. King, can we still advance this kind of education? And I would like to focus on this. It's, it's, so, it's so bizarre. It's so uh, utterly childish to think this way. These are really supposedly very intelligent people. I mean, let's, let's give it to them. Neil Tyson is, a, is, is, a, is an intelligent man. He knows science very well. Uh, Woody Allen, of course, is a comic genius, uh, and Harry Belafonte, he's a musical genius. And there are many great geniuses out there. And, and, and what's his name? The guy, uh, the paraplegic, Stephen Hawking, right? He, he's a genius, but they say the most, not just irrational things, but idiotic things. So beyond idiotic that you, you just say, hey, you know, Mr. Hawking, have you thought about X? Like your, your principle of somehow a multiverse, that there are many universes out there, billions and billions of universes. Where's the evidence of that, sir? And, and it's only because he wants to force it. He wants to be, and the only reason why he's doing it is because he wants to increase the possibilities, the probability that, uh, that, that, such that it would explain our existence at all. Because he understands the math doesn't work out. So he invents this, this uh, multiverse. Never mind that he doesn't have any evidence for it. But that's what he wants. He, you know, it's car before the horse thinking. So there's no science there. And likewise, you, you talk to Harry Belafonte, Woody Allen, um, uh, what's his name, Friedman, um, and, and Neil Tyson. You, you talk to them and you say, have you thought about dissent? Have you thought about the fact that people have different interests? Uh, they have different visions of the way the world and the universe works. Isn't the best system a system that somehow deals with the fact that people have differing opinions? And isn't it logical also to look at all history of dictatorships and say, gosh, that didn't work out too well, and maybe think that it's dictatorship that's the problem, all right? You think that human nature is the problem. But as messy as dem democracy is, and I'll grant you that, perhaps Winston Churchill was right when he said that democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others, right? We still haven't figured out a better one, but it ain't dictatorship. We know that. And you're fools to think otherwise. So what, what about, you just and one more thing, because I know that, Ari, you want to bring up something about this. The China for a day thing. All right, let's say we take him at his word, that he really means China for a day. 
All right, so you get this glorious moment where you get to be China, and whoever the Politburo is of China, I don't know, but let's let's include Woody Allen, uh, Obama, and uh, Harry Belafonte, and Tom Friedman, and they're all in charge now. Okay. <laughs> what a nightmare! <laughs> what a nightmare! Yeah. <laughs> what a disorganized. And Neil Tyson too. I forgot. Right. So now they're all in charge, and they all come somehow agree to a certain thing, and it's all why. So they agree to solar energy, that they're going to encourage, uh, you know, gay uh, teaching in, in elementary school, uh, that no bathrooms are going to be differentiated or whatever the, the, the argument may be, and they they advance this. Okay, and then they say, "Boom, we've done it, China for a day." These are the laws now. Okay, and isn't this great? And by the way, we have bullet trains that are going everywhere. Woo, woo, woo. Okay, isn't that great? Okay, <laughs> free internet for everyone, and we get to control the internet. And this is these are the appropriate websites. And okay, so and then what happens after the next day? And then you go back to this messy democracy, and they all look at them. They say, "We're not going to deal with this crap." Right? You think that people want these bullet trains? They don't. They don't want any of the crap that you're offering them. You think it's so great. But I have a news flash for you. Everyone thinks that their ideas are great. I think my ideas are great. Okay? I think that they work. But what I think works may be different than what you think works. Now, P.S., what I think works actually embraces dissent, embraces democracy. I like democracy. I, I like the idea that people have differing opinions than me. Ari, you've given me ideas in the past uh, that, that I would never have thought about before, and you maybe disagree with me. And I think that makes us better. I think that's what, why democracies are, in fact, better than dictatorships. Because they promote people to have open minds and share ideas yeah. without worrying about being beheaded by the king? Right. Ooh! They just, they just don't like this messy democracy process where people have to ask for approval for these great ideas that they know are so much better for society. But you see, it's so childish. It really is. It's childish in the same way that, that one of my children sometimes will look at a homeless person and say, well, why, why doesn't he just make money, right? And if he had millions of dollars, then he could buy a nice house. So just get millions of dollars, they say to me. Just go to the bank and get it. And get, go get it's it. It's right there in the bank. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and of course, everything's missing. And there's so many ways to respond to that, of course. But this, but you, you, that you really have to tell somebody like Neil Tyson and, and Woody Allen and all those people, do, you do understand that people have differing opinions that might be equally valid, in fact, superior to your ideas. Just because you think a bullet train will work is so great and looks so nice and such like that. Why? Why? It's, less, it, it's far less economical than taking a plane or your own car. Why would you do that? And the same thing for solar energy and why, the whole climate change argument and such. What, and, and the whole taxes policy. Everything about it is wrong. And all we're saying is limited government. Let, let people decide for themselves. Let, they'll, they'll make their own mistakes. Right? And one of the things I loved about law school, I remember this one case, a Supreme Court decision, and it basically said, we're not here, we are here to, to rule on the constitutionality of a law, not its stupidity. Okay? Now, that I loved, right? Because it was so American. And, and they were ruling on a, um, some sort of a speeding uh, law. Okay, and it was like they were mandating, this particular town was mandating that it be, uh, that people go no more than 35 miles an hour, where it, it just was too slow for most people. And it was not a very wise law. And it, so they said, look, it's not for us to decide whether it's, it's wise or not. It's for us to decide whether it's constitutional. Yeah, it's constitutional. We can't get into the soup and decide every single time whether or not a law makes sense or otherwise. Whether it's you know, racially discriminatory, sure. Well, you know, whether it's constitutional, sure, we'll get into that. But that, that, that's what I love about our American jurisprudence, the way we approach not only the law, but the economy and the way that we are structured. This is the basic point. And you don't understand this. The fact that you don't understand this, my liberal friends, it concerns me because what you're, what you're amplifying is a childish understanding of the world. And I want you to grow up. Grow up now. Because we don't have time. And if you grew up, you would understand some things like this. One, we have no time. 
to deal with nonsense. If you want to truly be a dictatorial, here is one thing I suggest to you. Let's fight the bad guys. Let's understand who our enemies are and who our friends are. That's issue number one. Issue number two, ask yourself what makes the economy move, okay? What is the most important growth factor in our, in our economy? I'll tell you what that is, and that is free market capitalism that has always worked and has always worked well. It has never failed, okay? There's no such thing as a market failure, okay? You, you don't have to like it. There's, of course, there'll be fraud in the process from time to time. It'll always be that way. But the fact that there is some fraud and, and corruption within capitalism and crony capitalism, if you like to call it that, it, it's, a, it's but a drop in the bucket compared to the corruption and socialism and communism. That's, that's what you need to understand. And once you do that, you'll come to the conclusion that, you know what, despite how great I think my ideas are, that the, at the end of the day, the best thing for society itself is full-on democracy. Democratic free market capitalism. And it's got to be God-based. If you understood that, then you might actually get somewhere. And then you'd understand that God wants us to argue. God wants us to have differing opinions. And guess what? God gave us differing opinions. Shocker. Shock. But they want you to believe that only their way of thinking, because they're so wise, you understand, the Neil Tysons and the Harry Belafontes and the Woody Allens and, of course, the Tom Friedmans, they, they want you to bow to their superior intellect. Right? It reminds me of the wrath of Khan, right? Khan is in control of everything, and he wants to be the leader of everyone in the Star Trek episodes. But, but it, it doesn't matter how superior you think your intellect is. It means nothing. You do not have all the answers. You never will have all the answers. And that's been proven time and time again in this great country of ours. Anyway, it's, it's, it's what, I, what I, I think and what I, I know is true. And I, I have the evidence to back it up, don't we? And I have, I have four points on this. So the last thing you said, the truth is that a million idiots in aggregate have more brain power and more answers than one genius. Yeah. Okay, oh, that's so the true. first. The second is, isn't it amazing that all these people who argue for a dictatorship from time to time mm -hmm. never come up with the simplest solution which gives them both a dictatorship and lets the rest of us be free, which is move to North Korea. Move to Venezuela, <laughs> move to Cuba, prostate yourself to the ruler, and leave us the hell alone. Yeah, if you so think true. it works so well, go to a place where they have it and try it. Yeah. Don't impose it on us. Yeah. Go somewhere it already exists. Why, why build it from scratch if it's already there? The third point, and I think this is, this is just hilarious, is um, whenever they argue for dictatorship, they do so in the context that they are the one who winds up being the dictator, ignoring right. the eventual bloodbath to be the king of the hill that always takes place. <laughs> That's true. And, and normally these That's wusses, really yeah. these nerds, these dweebs like Woody Allen, mm -hmm. like uh, Stephen Hawking, who's in a wheelchair, like the total Dork Neil Tyson, who couldn't beat uh, you know my daughter in a bar fight, or like the the uh, guy who creates music softer than a marshmallow, Harry Balafonte. Any real dictator like Stalin or Mao would crush them in a second. Well, not, not only that, but it's it's. Uh, well, let me let me just kind of demerge your comment about him being in a wheelchair, uh, uh, Stephen Hawkins, because that's not really a fair comment. He, but he's intellectually lazy. Okay, he's uh, intellectually paralyzed. He's he's. You know, putting aside the, the body that he, that he suffers in, I, I I wouldn't wish that upon my worst enemies, of course. But he he he's a nerd in all those senses, and I like what you just said. All those people, they're they're intellectual wusses. Okay, they that the, the revenge of the nerds, sort of speak. They they have such anger at the world that they know better. Uh, and and that the truth of the matter is, if they are really truly strong, they would allow the advent of other differing voices. A truly strong person can deal, has the emotional security and fortitude to deal with the fact that other people disagree with them. I mean, are you not a man, Harry Belafonte? Are you not a man, Tom Friedman and Tyson and, uh, and Woody Allen? Uh, you're obviously not. 
because you with you can't withstand the notion that somebody might disagree with you because your ideas are just so wonderful and so oh, great. Yeah, and you're not arguing them not a man as in some transgender thing. You're calling them a child. Yeah. You're acting like babies, like yeah. children who can't handle not getting your way. No, I, I think that they're not men. I think they're not strong. I think they're childish too, but they're not men. Because a man knows how to deal with opposing views. Right. You know, a man doesn't wither when somebody says, well, I disagree with you, and then cries and runs away. But that's what these men do. They want the power. They want to be given all the power so that they don't have to deal with opposing views. Get it? But that's what democracy is. It, democracy brings out strength in everyone. And, and all it really is, at the end of the day, if we want a strong leader, it, you know, a Ronald Reagan... It's not somebody that says, do it my way or I destroy you. Hardly that at all. Ronald Reagan is the one who shows us. He's a true leader. He says, he brings out the best in us. That's what a true leader is, right? Every, Caesar was a great leader, not because he was the, the best way he, he managed to control his men. It's because he brought out the best in them, right? And, and likewise with George Washington, likewise with Abraham Lincoln, uh, Winston Churchill. You think of any great leader... And I'll show you a man that brought out the best in his people. And I'll show you a man who was strong, not a wuss. Yeah, and you're, you're so right on that because Reagan was famous for having people in his cabinet who disagreed with him ideolo ideologically, right. like David Stockman and William Von Robb and several others, uh, uh, James Baker. They, did, they were not conservative in the exact bend as Reagan, but he had them anyway because he understood a plurality of voices and opinions are better than a uni unanimous vote yeah. on that. Yeah. And then my final point, and I think you'll love this, I want you to address it. A miracle happened. A Christmas Festivus miracle, Barack. <laughs> and I can prove it. Neil Tyson now believes in God. He does. And do you know how I can prove it? Because if he appointed himself king, monarch, kings rule because they've been anointed by the seed of God to be God on earth. So he self-appointed himself as a deity. As well, king of rationality. That's, that sounds nice. Uh, but, king but, of rationality. I'm not saying he worships the true God, the creator of the universe. I'm just saying, you see how, in a roundabout way, he's fallen victim to his own austere ideas of, of, um, of atheism by forcing his own hypothetical utopian world to need to be ruled by a god, right. but it's him. Now, I see. It. Let, me, let me disagree with you on that. How dare you? <laughs> Off with your head! <laughs> That's right. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, I guess uh, <laughs> I'm taking away in chains. Anyway, uh, it, you know, he reflects. He's actually consistent in his atheism. Uh, he's definitely not a God-believing person. And, and believe me, uh, don't get me wrong, I, I think an atheist understands it's so internally inconsistent atheism, they can't believe, a scientist especially cannot necessarily believe in what, in, in atheism. It doesn't make internal sense, but that's another story. But in atheism, one of the many elements of atheism, and I, I again explore this in my book, is that man is in control. Man is at the top of the pyramid. Uh, that nobody else is in charge. Man is in charge. We who believe in God, we that know that there's a God, knows that God is ultimately in charge, right? But if you're an atheist, by definition, there's no God in your life. Therefore, you must place man in charge. So Neil Tyson is doing exactly that. Yeah, but that's what I mean. He's, no, 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 he's, he's, he's self-appointed himself. He's a self-appointing, but, but that's, he's making himself a God, if you like, but that doesn't mean that he himself believes in God. I'm simply saying he's acting consistently with his own beliefs, because if you don't believe in God, well, then by golly, we've got to put somebody in charge who's going to be, you know, with a strong muscle, uh, and he's going to force this upon everyone else because he knows better than what anyone else knows. Because he's, he, you know, he's just so much better than you. He understands this stuff better than you. Never mind with your PhDs and and your conservative principles and such. He knows what works. Thank you very much. All right, and just do what I say. All right. He's like the parent who feels that, that he needs to teach his children and how to raise them right, right? He's, that's, that's how it is. So uh, he's very much consistent with the atheism. Uh, I, I think it's, it's embarrassing for him. It, to, to somebody to, to, who actually believes this, and if you believe this, my friends, anyone listening, please do write me, and you've written so many great and, and interesting things, and uh, you've made us think differently, by the way. A lot of your emails uh, reflect... Uh, both on this show and the, my Sunday show on KRLA, 8.70 a.m. on Sundays at 10 o'clock. 
10 to 11.30 West Coast time. West Coast time, right. 10 to 11. It's just an hour show. Okay. So uh, I, I, if you, we get great emails. Help us think. think. I, I, you just, you, no man is an island. But that's not the viewpoint of Neil Tyson and all the others we mentioned. They believe that every man is an island. In fact, you belong on his island, and you better do what he says on his island. It's Lord of the Flies over there, and it's vicious. And for you to think that somehow that your dictatorship is going to uh, lead to a blessed result, that great, a great economy will result from this, and that it will be ecologically and uh, spiritually sound and great art and great freedom will arise out of all this. You are truly living in fantasy land. It is truly illogical. But there you are. And why would we expect anything different from the great people known as the liberals? And all right, so as, as we conclude, uh, just remember, share this podcast, if you could, with just one good friend of yours. Uh, if you like this uh, podcast, if, uh, if you don't, then don't. But if you like it, please do us a favor. No, 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 hold on, let me fix that. If you like this podcast, share it with one good friend. If you hate it, share it with five. <laughs> all right. And sure. tell them how much it infuriates you. That's right, the, exactly That's right. the Howard Stern effect, where ah. people who agree with him listen for 15 minutes, people who hate him listen for two hours. So. <laughs> all right, good. Yeah, and we like disagreeing voices, by the way. We have no problem with that, because you know what? We're not afraid. We're strong. We have the fortitude to deal with withering criticism. Right? And that's the difference between us and Harry Belfonte and all the others. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk with you next week.